Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's word and the gospel. Through Jesus, anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching. Greetings, my brothers and sisters. It's good to gather with you on this Lord's Day to worship and praise our God. We've been, uh, uh, had the pl- privilege and the pleasure and the, uh, maybe the, the challenge of, of studying the book of Revelation. We come to this, uh, this incredible uh, piece of literature, uh, the Word of God to us, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It comes to us as a letter. It comes to us as a prophecy. It comes to us uh, in pictures and sounds and sights, uh, bringing to us images and, and ideas and, and realities beyond the veil. The things that we can't see uh, shown to us to call us into faith. Uh, we live in a time of tribulation. We live in a, tri- a time of great suffering and trial around the world. We live in a time where uh, suffering is coming towards those of faith. Attack and persecution and, and uh, great evil is being directed towards those who are following Jesus Christ. Uh, and around the world, uh, other places as well. We pray for Israel. We pray for their, uh, their future, their, their peace, their hope. We, we pray for all the, the nations that are in turmoil right now, the, the great suffering, the great trials, the, uh, the great evil being done upon the earth. We come to the book of Revelation, and, and here's, a, here's a, a gift of God. Here's a, a, a revelation of Jesus Christ coming towards people who are suffering. Uh, it, it's a call to have hope called to have hope in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial. What a hope it is we have. But it comes to us, uh, first and foremost, to local churches. Jesus is speaking to local churches just like ours. Churches of 10 people or churches of 2,000 people, churches in rural areas, churches in cities, churches that are uh, maybe rich, churches that are dirt poor, people of God who have been redeemed by Jesus their, their Savior is, is speaking to them. And we get to listen in. We, we get to be challenged uh, about where we are in our walk with Jesus. Are we healthy? Are we close? Are we, are we obedient? Or are we rebellious? Are we worldly? Are we compromised? Are we, are, are we walking in faith with our Lord Jesus Christ or not. So we, we've been, uh, if you haven't been here, uh, the journey the last several weeks, we looked at the church of Ephesus, and, and Jesus, if you want to summarize things, he called them a loveless church. They've, they've fallen from their first love. They, they used to witness about Jesus. They used to glorify Jesus. They used to sing his praises, but they, they'd fallen a great fall. And Jesus called them to repent, to come back to what they first were. And we went to the church of Smyrna, uh, Jesus, rather, went to the church of Smyrna. Here's, if you want to describe them, they, they were the persecuted church, persecuted the great persecution level of persecution, but they were the faithful church. He called them to hold on, to keep, keep the faith, 
Keep trusting him even to the point of death. Uh, we, we hear these, these, these accounts or these, these ways of looking at uh, health or unhealth or faithfulness, unfaithfulness. We're called to say, where, where am I in my walk? Am I faithful or am I unfaithful on this point of the journey? We came to the church of uh, Pergamum last week. Uh, you might want to call them the compromised church. They were, uh, they, 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 they were walking in, in somewhat of a healthy way, but they were, they were willing to give up on faithfulness to Jesus to fit in, to be accepted, to be, to be safe in the world. Where, where are we today? Are, are we going with Jesus all the way? Or are we only going with Jesus as long as he helps us or as long as he blesses us? As soon as tr- trouble or suffering or trial because of him comes, do we abandon him? Do we leave the faith? A Pergamum was a compromise uh, church in many ways. We come to the church of Thyatira today. Uh, chapter 2, verse 18 of Revelation. Please open your Bibles there. Chapter 2, verse 18. Another church, another town, another city, another unique circumstance. But we are called to, as we read this, the Spirit of God is in our midst and He's asking us to evaluate ourselves. Are we walking with the Lord Jesus Christ or not in the midst of our trials and tribulations and sufferings? And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes like flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, and patient endurance, that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, calls herself a prophetess, is teaching and seducing my servants, Practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent. She refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I'll throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. And I'll strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what, I ha- to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as myself have... I have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Uh, the, The church in Thyatira, we might call it the corrupt church. We might call it the immoral church. May we not be called that church. May we not be associated in any way with the connotation of immorality, idolatry, wickedness, or evil. 
Jesus, as he comes, we, we've noticed the pattern here uh, in every one of these letters that are coming through Jesus to the angel, to John, to the churches. Uh, there's, there's a pattern going on, it's a, a rhythm here. Jesus reveals a certain part of his identity, his character. Remember back in chapter 1, he gave this long list to the churches of, this is what I'm like, and, and as John saw uh, all these characteristics, these pictures of, of who he is, now they're being parsed out to each church as appropriate to their need. Notice how he addresses Thyatira, the words of the Son of God. Uh, that's the only place uh, here in Revelation where we have uh, this, this title for Jesus, as far as I know. I have to read the book again to see, but uh, as far as I know, this is the only place where it says that directly. And the reason is, in, in Thyatira, they had a couple sons of Zeus that were worshipped. You know, the Greek pantheon, uh, the different gods, Apollo was one of them. And so the, the temple of Apollo was somewhere where people would go to worship and, and, and uh, ask for God's favor, Zeus's son's favor upon them. Bless my crops, bless, bless my, uh, my business, bless my family, etc., etc., offering sacrifices to this false god. And so in the contrast to that, Jesus reminds them of who their Lord is, the Son of God. And all the connotations. Emperor might look impressive. The emperor of Rome might look awesome in his battle gear, but he holds nothing to the Lord Jesus Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one whom you worship. Don't forget it. Uh, the Son of God, he, he comes and he has eyes like a flame of fire. And we can all imagine that, can't we? Feet are like burnished bronze. Now, that, that's an interesting one. Like, well, burnished bronze, is that like a, a Nike shoe or something? Is that something really special? You know, it's, it's, uh, really, it's an image in the day of, of, of a divine warrior. Someone has the battle gear on, and it's, it's glorious, and it's, it's full of splendor and awe. When you saw the, the gleam of the, in, in their day, burnished bronze, the polished bronze, and the sun shining, the glory of God, what an awesome sight. He comes as the divine warrior to his church. He comes as the judge to his church, the one who sees all. Nothing is, is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. He knows the heart. He knows the mind. He knows the motives. Nothing escapes the eyes of the king, our king, our judge, our Lord. And so it's a little bit daunting is, is if you're in church on Sunday morning, in Thyatira, and you hear this letter from the Apostle John, from Jesus, and he's approaching you this way. Uh, what are you feeling right now? What, what, what are you emoting right now? What, what are you thinking right now? Oh boy, what's the word of the Lord to me today? He starts, as, again, we, we come to these, these letters, and there's, there's a certain rhythm here. There, there's, there's the announcement of Jesus, who he is, behind the scenes, who, who do you see? Your connotation of Jesus might be vastly different from the truth of the Lord. But now he says, I know your works, verse 19. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And, and the amazing thing, he says, the latter works exceed the first. Isn't that remarkable? So he's talking about their deeds. Hey, church, I see all that you do. I see your works. I see your, your works of love, 
your deeds of love, everything you did this week in the name of Jesus Christ, out of love for Jesus, everything you did in his name, it hasn't been, hasn't been forgotten. It hasn't been missed. It hasn't been uh, swept under the rug. Jesus sees it. He knows it. Every act of faith that you've stepped out on and, and, and um, lived out, the, the promises that you know of Jesus' word, the, the commands that you know of Jesus' teaching, every time you stepped out in faith and, and you had that act of faith, that act of, of service uh, in his name, he, he saw it all. He, he sees it all. He, he, he applauds it. The, uh, the act of service, um, maybe this is uh, you know, a cold cup of water in, in his name. Maybe this is an act of service to a brother or sister in the church that needs help. Maybe this is an act of service to somebody in the community that uh, maybe they need a ramp in their house. Maybe they need their, 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 their tire fixed. It's flat in their yard. Whatever. Acts of service in Jesus' name. He sees it all. Every act of love, every act of service, every grace that you've given to others that they didn't deserve. He saw it all. He sees it all. He says, I want you to know I'm so proud of you. This is just right. This is just how you should be. Keep living. And your perseverance, the, 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 the hatred that's coming towards you from the world, the attacks that are coming towards you, the persecution because you follow Jesus, because the world does not want to bow the knee to Jesus. The world does not want to bow the knee to the King of Kings. And they'll fight against you so many, so many levels and so many ways. Every time that you persevered and you kept the faith, every time that you re represented me and every time you walked in the, in the truth in my name, you didn't retaliate, you didn't act like a worldly people, you didn't act like wicked people, you didn't take vengeance. Every time that you did my will, I saw it. And, and we don't know how long the church has been in existence. We, we guessed in a previous sermon that maybe this, these churches were all in, the, in this area of modern-day uh, western Turkey, we guess that maybe they got planted maybe mid-50s A.D. If this was written end of, end of the 90s, you know, they're maybe 40 years old, somewhat, as we said in the previous sermon, about the same size, same uh, uh, age of living water, Bible fellowship, middle-aged church. But he says, man, it's been great because you just keep growing. You keep growing in your works, in your deeds. Wouldn't that be awesome if he said that about us? That I've been more loving to people? I've, I've, I've sought out their best more than I did before. I served my community more than I did before in Jesus' name. I, I didn't give in to evil when it came against me. I didn't act like a, a vengeful person or a wicked person. or I, uh, I didn't act like they'd acted towards me. Man, wouldn't that be great if, if Jesus would say that to us like, Man, since you became a Christian five years ago, 15 years ago, 72 years ago, you just keep growing in your faith, in your works. That's what he wants. Sometimes we, we think about Christianity, like uh, when we talk about the gospel, like the, the presentation of the gospel today. Jesus gave his life for us. He sacrificed his life for us. He took our debt and he paid it all. Uh, we, sometimes we think, as long as I believe in him and I trust in him, man, maybe, maybe that's all there is to Christianity. That's just coming to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the starting line. That's the beginning of a life 
of worship of him, of serving him. The response of everyone who's been saved is now I'm going to live my life in the works of Jesus. I'm going to be a Jesus person to that person and to that community and to that group. I'm, I'm going to be the follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to obey him in, in all, all the things that are right and true, everything that he teaches, his commands. So Jesus is, is commending them here. And uh, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your love? Are you growing in your works? Or are you, are you, or are you caught up in the world right now? Everything's about paying off the mortgage. <laughs> everything's, everything's about the next vacation. Everything's about, about you getting ahead or your, your, your status or your reputation growing. I mean, are you, are you the God that's being worshipped or is Jesus the God who's being worshipped? Are, are you growing in your service of him because he is worthy of our lives? He is worthy of our service, our love, our gifts, our sacrifice. May it be so that we are known as a people who are walking in the ways of Jesus. We are loving as Jesus loved people. Then he moves on to the, the challenge, to the criticism, to the hard word in every one of these letters, except for a few of them. There, we saw in Smyrna there was no criticism. Small church, a persecuted church, a suffering church. He just told them to keep, keep being faithful. But to Thyatira, man, they, if, if Pergamum was a compromised church, here's a church that's uh, gone the way of the world that's become corrupt, that's living in immorality. Not everybody, but the general tenor of the church is, they, uh, and, and it's, it's strange to say, like, in some ways their works are, are good, they're, they're loving, they're, they're giving, and on, on the same side of that, the other side of that coin is immoral, evil behaviors. They can go together, it's not a, oxymoron. It's not a, something that doesn't necessarily fit because you can live godly lives in some, some parts of your life and other parts of your life you can live selfish as the devil. He says to them in verse 20, but I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, Let's, before we get into understanding what the criticism is, look, look at back in the Old Testament with me to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. Let's talk about Jezebel. Uh, probably the, the, the name, it's an epithet uh, for, we don't know the woman's real name, but uh, Jesus calls her Jezebel because it fits. Uh, maybe, maybe the most evil woman in the world that uh, in history... Uh, when we talk about an evil woman, Jezebel comes to mind. And there was a reason for that, because she was evil. Uh, let's get some history here, get some background. Uh, so as we've gone through Revelation, again, there's so many allusions to the Old Testament. And this, this one is, uh, is important to Jesus. The 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. Okay, so at this point in history, Israel is divided. There's a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Ahab has become king of the northern kingdom of Israel. That in many ways has fallen into apostasy, that uh, is, not, uh, is, is an adulterous nation in regards to God. 
but he takes it to another level. Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And that's saying a lot if you read the first part of Kings. More than anyone who did, was before him. And if that, were, if, that were, if, that, if that had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Uh, it, it, you can't underline that enough in, in the way that the, the, the Old Testament prophets and the writers spoke about that kind of a, a deal. Uh, Jezebel was uh, probably from what we call modern-day Lebanon on the coast there. It used to be called Phoenicia. Uh, the Sidon was a, a city in, in Phoenicia. And their main god, the main male god, was Baal. And throughout the, the Canaanite religion, the Phoenician religion, there's all these different Baals, the Baal of Peor and the Baal of this or that, the, the local god, the fertility god. Uh, and it was an ugly worship. It was a, a lot of sexual immorality involved in the worship of that god. At, at all these temples, there, usually, there would be uh, female prostitutes, male prostitutes. And the idea was you had sex with a prostitute, and that would stimulate Baal to send rain or to, or to bless the crops. It's like you're, you, you get excited as a person and you, you, in your sexual activity, and the gods get excited, so to speak, and they, they bless the land with rain. They bless the land with fertility kind of a deal. And so it's just a nat- nasty kind of a, and you know, all the prostitutes, all the, all the women being used and all the men being used and all the immorality, all the adultery that went on there. It just, just, you just can imagine over the, over the decades and over the, the centuries how much evil was done in the name of this God. Uh, but verse 33, and Ahab made, it, made an Asherah, another god of the region. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger all the kings of Israel who were before him. <laughs> and again, go back and read 1 Kings uh, and, and all the evil that they, they accomplished. And he's, he's the poster child, uh, Ahab. And Jezebel was the one who incited him. Jezebel was the one, hey, uh, remember, remember, remember the, the accounts, Elijah, right? When, when, when Elijah was, was the prophet of God and, and Jezebel, she went around killing all the prophets of God. Her game plan was to eradicate uh, in Israel the worship of Yahweh. Her, her plan was, I'm going to replace the Lord God of Israel with my God. And so she would kill and slaughter and destroy. And there was that great scene when, uh, when Elijah, hey, he, he, he confronted Ahab and, hey, let's have a showdown <laughs> on Mount Carmel. Remember that? When, when she, Ahab bought, brought like 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And, and the, the showdown was, hey, you call on your God and see if he can consume this, this sacrifice with fire. And they, they tried all day. They tried all day. They were slashing themselves, getting the blood flowing, getting that bale, that, that fertility God to see the blood so he'd get excited, so he'd, he'd answer their prayer and, and consume the fire, consume the sacrifice. And, and, and then Elijah said, hey, God, <laughs> look upon this and show them who you are, basically. And, and the, 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 the sacrifice was consumed, even though there was a ton of water poured on it. And then there was this great conflation where Israel killed the prophets of Baal. And Asherah. And Jezebel, from that point on, you know, she made war against Elijah and, and the rest of the prophets. She failed, of course. But this story, this account, it, it bleeds throughout the, the, the rest of the Bible and it even enters into the book of Revelation. 
And so what, what, a, what a, a name that Jesus gives this woman. We don't know her real name. Again, it's a, it's a symbolic name, as it were. She might have been called Jezebel, but who, who names their kid Jezebel, right? So it's like last week that when we talked about Balaam, a, an allusion to an Old Testament account story, and, and Jesus gives a name there. So Jezebel, and what, it, it, just knowing the history, you know that her heart is off. Her heart is to pull people away from Jesus. Her heart is to pull people away from Jesus to these other gods, whoever her pagan gods were. Uh, the, the saying here of Jesus is that she, she called herself a prophetess. And we don't know how big the church in Thyatira was. We don't know the whole story there, the whole history there. Uh, but it uh, can't, can't be a huge church. But they're allowing this woman, uh, Jezebel, she says, I'm a prophetess and Thus saith the Lord, he's told me what to tell you. He's told me to tell you what to do. And guess what she was probably telling them what to do? It's fine to go worship the other gods. It's fine to go worship at the, the, the pagan temples in our city. It's fine to engage in sexual immorality, to sleep around, to uh, go see all the prostitutes you want in the name of that God or that God or that God. And the sad part about it, the church did not stop her. The church tolerated her heresy. The church tolerated her wickedness, and they let her go. Uh, she must have been a very charismatic individual. You know, the way she talked, maybe, she, maybe, they, maybe that church, what, they weren't the Bereans that Acts says we should be. They didn't study their Bible. They didn't know what the Word of God said. Maybe they're ignorant. Maybe there's some here today that are ignorant of what God teaches. And maybe you could be swept away by a prophetess or a false teacher and you wouldn't even know it because you don't know God's word or God's truth, what he calls you to be and do as a Christian. But anyway, this, uh, this, this woman is being called out. And those with her, God's church is holy. It's not the pastor's church. It's not, it's not the people's church. This is Jesus' church. And he is appalled at the immorality of the church. Last week, as we looked at Pergamum, we saw that uh, the, the, the letter to them, it started with uh, the, the idolatry, and then it then it's talked about the immorality. In this church, the compromised church, the, the immoral church, it starts with the sexual immorality, and then it moves on to the idolatry. So the priority is there. And, and Again, the, the, the euphemisms, the different figures of speech that describe these things, when it talks about her sexual immorality, in the Old Testament, the prophets were always talking about Israel's sexual immorality. And what it meant by that was as they, they, were, they were married to Yahweh. They were married to the Lord God, but they would cheat on the Lord God with the, the gods of the nations. And God uh, often would send his prophets and say how sick he, he was of their adultery. And so there could be a sense here where Probably just the way it's emphasized, there's, there is a lot of uh, sexual immorality taking place through Jezebel and those who are committed to her teachings. But it also could mean that Jesus is speaking to, to his church and saying, why are you cheating on me? Why are you sleeping around spiritually with other gods when I'm your God? When I bought you with my blood, when, uh, when I made you part of my life, uh, the bride of Christ even. So it's, it's, a, it's a great condemnation of the church, a great uh, calling out of the church, a, a great announcement of judgment upon the church. She, uh, 
She's seducing. The word in ESV here says seducing. She's teaching and seducing my servants. Some of your translations saying deceiving my servants. So she's, she's manipulating them. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's coming to them and saying, hey, it's okay. God says. And, and there, there's some, and maybe some of your Bible, your, your study Bibles go into it a little bit. But Thyatira was a, uh, and we, we, we raise this question because who are we? We, we look at the biblical example, what's being taught, and then we, we try to apply it to our life. In, in Thyatira is a, is a blue-class town, okay? Uh, There's all these guilds. Uh, you, you had the shoemakers, the, 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 the bronze smiths, the, the farriers, uh, the textile workers. You know, you worked with wool or linen. You had the merchants. You had all these, these, these construction people. Uh, in Thyatira, it, was, it wasn't this highfalutin city. It was a, it was a working-class town. Later, later in history, they became rich as some minerals were found in the area, and the, the roads, the Roman Empire, got better around their, their area. They made a lot of money, but here, they're, they're just a working-class town. And in, in the town, it's really interesting, because in the town, they had this, like, the, it's segmented, like, the, 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 the dye makers lived here, the, the farriers lived here, um, the merchants lived here. It, it, it was your social identity, the group, so if you were a, a contractor, if you were a you know, a plumber, if you were a, a concrete worker or whatever, you'd live in a certain part of the city. And it was expected of that, that, that people that you were associated with, it was your social life, those were your people. Every one of those guilds, not like unions today, but kind of like that, these guilds, uh, whoever you're with, they had their own patron god. And, and, and here's the deal. I mentioned it last week, like, if you're in your guild... And you become a Christian. There, there's tens of thousands of people that aren't Christian, but maybe you're, a, you're the only Christian in your whole guild, right? You're, you're maybe a church of 50 people or 100 people, and, and that, that's all the people there are in your church, but you belong to this group, this, this, and they have this patron God, and they say, hey, we're about the God of X, Y, or Z. We're, this is our God, and so we have to honor her. We have to honor him. And so they'd have these regular feasts, like regular feasts, where it would be announced that all the meat here has been devoted to Apollos, or all the meat here has been devoted to Asherah, or, or whoever. And we're going to eat this meat out of worship for her provision, or his provision. And you're a Christian, and you're trying to be faithful to Jesus, and you're trying to obey Jesus. You know the Ten Commandments, that you shall not worship other gods or bow down to them. And yet you're in this struggle because if you say no, if you don't go to your guild, it's your life. That's where your family's relationships are. Everything that you know, you've been a, your, your dad's been a carpenter, grandpa, great grandpa, back, way back. And so you're going to break that chain by saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And they'll, they'll tell you, well, you, you're not going to make any money this month. Uh, you're not getting any jobs this month because you need to worship our God because all, all of our prosperity comes from that God or that God not Jesus. And so you can worship your Jesus if you want, but you're going to suffer for it. And so here comes in the scenario, perhaps the scenario is this. Here comes Jezebel. God told me, she's saying I'm a prophetess, God told me that it's okay for you to go worship the God of your guild. He's okay with it. I swear, in her de demonic demeanor, of tri tricking people, seducing people, deceiving people into worshiping false gods. And so, like many of these letters, all these letters, even the book of Revelation, people are being 
put in positions where they're going to have to choose Jesus or they're going to have to choose the world. And, and, and it comes to very, very harsh, even, even difficult terms like, I'm going to feed my kids or I'm not going to feed my kids by going with Jesus or not going with Jesus. The decisions are being made. So the Bible comes, the, these letters come with messages of hope. Stay with Jesus no matter what. Stay with Jesus even if it costs you your life. Trust me in this. And so the churches are put in a position, the believers are put in position to trust him or not. What about you? We are not often put in these positions. Our employment often doesn't depend on our religion or lack of religion. Our, our relationships in the community, uh, we don't get blackballed, as it were. We won't, we don't, we're not put out as the outcasts, as it were, because we follow Jesus in this community. But they, they were. They were put in positions where they were suddenly the ones nobody wanted to have relationships with anymore. But what are you, in your relationship with Jesus now, is he the one you're trusting in, no matter what? Is he the one that you are worshiping, even if it costs you? Have you made that determination? Have you come to that point of, I'm going with Jesus no matter what. I'm going to obey his word no matter what. Or are you someone that's found yourself compromising often? Well, I, I, I'm not going to bring up my relationship with Jesus at work because I might miss out on the job that, that I really want. I, I might not get uh, moved up the chain. If, if they become thinking I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and they think I'm a Bible thumper or whatever, I just, I'm going to avoid that. Are, are you compromising? Are you, are you not obeying Jesus because it's going to cost you something? The, the questions that come, they're calling us to be faithful to Jesus no matter what. So anyway, in, in, the, in the context, Jesus says, uh, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill her children. Now again, the, the, the euphemisms, the picture is, there's a group of people that have chosen to go with Jezebel. There's a group of people who have chosen to be committed to her teachings. And uh, God gave them the opportunity to repent. God gave them the opportunity to turn around, to turn back, to, to do what was right. Like, apparently they're saying, I'm a Christian, but they're, they're obviously committed to another God, another path, another faith. And, and he's saying, time's up. And there, there's, there's uh, several reasons for this. Um, all the churches, the second part of verse 23, all the churches will know that I am he who searches minds and hearts. I will give to each according to your works. Uh, in, in one sense, uh, remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? Remember when they lied to the Holy Spirit, they lied to the church. Hey, we gave all this money to the church when they, they really hadn't, and God took them out. God, and, and what happened was it caused the whole church to repent because other people were playing games too, pretending to be holy when they're really hypocrites. And they, a lot of people repented. And so God is, using, is going to use Jezebel and her followers in the same way to the other churches in the region. Uh, they, they, they've departed from me. They, they've left me. And so they're going to get the punishment they deserve. And let's step back here just for a moment. And uh, this, this is something, uh, what, and maybe you don't notice it, but in uh, the end of verse 23, there's, a, there's almost a direct allusion, a direct quote of, of Jeremiah 17.10. 
Jeremiah 17, 10, I am the one who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Again, Revelation, the author of Revelation through Jesus, so many allusions to the Old Testament, just packed with scriptures. Um, but let, let me show you another scripture that, that speaks to this. And, and this, this is something that's really uh, pertaining to us. Like, if, 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 I, if I don't go with Jesus, is he going to kill me? <laughs> If I, if, I, if I don't walk faithfully with Jesus, am I going to lose my salvation? Is that what it's saying? I, I need to address that. So there, a word to the Christians, a word to the non-Christians. If you look, if you look to Romans chapter 2, please. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. And this might be shocking because uh, all we hear sometimes is, is grace, 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 and, and peace, peace, peace. Uh, but... Uh, really, God's judgment is, is God's way he treats people. It's, it's the same everywhere with all peoples on the face of the earth. And notice what it says in chapter 2, verse 6. The Lord, he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, Jew first and also the Greek, but, all, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. That's a big principle in Romans with the idea that uh, uh, whether you're Jew or Greek, you grew up in a religious family or a non-religious family or whatever, uh, all over the world God's going to treat people the same. He's perfectly just, he's perfectly fair, he, he doesn't ever uh, uh, do anything immoral or wrong in terms of his judgment. And so he says to you, uh, Christians and non-Christians here today, hey, if, if you seek, if you do what's right all the time, uh, eternal life is yours. If you do what's evil, uh, eternal death is yours, judgment is yours, wrath is yours. And, and, and so that there's this, there's, some people really like that. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a good person. I, I, I think I, I'm, I'm good to go to heaven because I, I'm a really good person, especially compared to Duran. That loser Duran, that sinner Duran, I'm not like him, but I, I'm, I'm really a righteous person. I'm a good person. And, and that, so that there's, some people are like, hey, that's, that's the, the, the Roman law, the, the lex talion or whatever, you know, an eye for an eye, two for two, justice is going to be served just right. Uh, but it's, it's uh, in the argument of Romans, in the argument of the Bible, it's, it's true that God's going to treat everyone part, impartially and fairly and justly. But then, but then as we move through Romans, right, he says, yeah, you, man, you do righteous, you do good, you're going to be saved. You're, you're going to go to heaven. But th then he starts evaluating humanity. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. Chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, what then, are, are, are we Jews any better off? He's just run the Gentiles through the, through the mud, so to speak. Uh, not at all, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. You might be better, Geron, better than Jerron, but you're still not righteous in the sight of God. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, God says, yeah, if you could do good consistently 100% of the time, you would merit heaven. But then the standard is, Jew or Greek, nobody does good. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven today, you're going to fail. If you think you're righteous enough to get to heaven, 
you're going to fail. On judgment day, you're going to find out that if you're trying to get a stand, the standard of righteousness, God's going to condemn you to hell. You need the grace of God. You need the forgiveness that comes from God, not by your works, but by His. And so look, look at verse, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Chapter 3, verse 20. No human being will be justified in his sight, declared righteous by God, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law is showing us that we're all fallen. We're all broken. We're all, we fall fall short of the glory of God. We're all thieves, as it were. We're all liars. We're all deceivers. We're all adulterers. If you follow the Ten Commandments and run through that path, none of us are righteous as Jesus is righteous. And so the, 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 the struggle is, okay, when, when I, when I come, become aware of my sin, my need, my loss, what am I supposed to do? So the bad news is you and I, on our own, are headed to a Christless eternity. We will be judged for our sins. The wrath of God is what we deserve against our sins. Then we look at chapter 3, verse 21. Okay, the bad news, the good news. Paul has set us up to hear this. And it comes in Revelation, it comes in Genesis, it's all through the Bible. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So you, you law keepers, you Jewish people are trying to keep the law to be saved, or you Gentiles are trying to keep your own nationality's laws to be justified in the sight of your God or whatever. Uh, it's apart from these laws, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there is no distinction, no matter your skin color, no matter your economic level, no matter your nationality, no matter who you are, even though you're all unrighteous, through faith in Jesus Christ, you all can be saved, is the message. In other words, your righteousness does not cut it. You need an alien righteousness. You need a righteousness from God. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ, anybody who trusts in Jesus Christ, that he paid your debt on the cross, you trust in his work, you will be saved. It says there's no distinction. For all have sinned, verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through his work, his redeeming work on the cross, paying for your life paying for your sins by his life. It was to show, uh, in, in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by sin, turning away the wrath of God, covering our sin. He did it by his blood to be received by faith. And so to non-Christians here, when, 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 we, get to, when we get to Revelation uh, 2 and verse 23, it says... Uh, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mine and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. If you haven't trusted in Jesus right yet, if you haven't turned to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, he will give you according to your works, and your works are flawed. Your works are deadly. The things that you're doing, the things that you're believing, the things that you're walking in, not righteous. So if you haven't come to Jesus yet, and you're depending on your works, He's going to give you exactly what you deserve, which is death. The wages of your sin is death, Romans 6, 23. And so the call is to repent. The call is to turn to Jesus, to trust in him as your sin bearer, to trust as him, trust in him as your redeemer, as your Lord and Savior. 
and you will be saved. Uh, he, so Jezebel, we don't know. I mean, her, her status, apparently she is part of the church and Jesus was working on her to repent, but she didn't. So is she an unbeliever? Is she a believer? We're, we're not told. To, to believers, if she is a believer and those in the church that are following her are believers, what do we say about that? Uh, this isn't, I, I didn't put this on the overhead, but if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, just to give us some insight. If you're a believer and you've been walking away from Jesus, if you left Jesus, if, you've, if you rejected his word, if you're living in immorality today, uh, does this mean that Jesus is going to throw you into the lake of fire? Is he going to throw you? So one, one, one idea in the church today is, is that you could lose your salvation, that you could be rejected forever if you backslide, if you leave Jesus. Is, is, and so some people point to Jezebel. She started with Jesus, but she left him. And so she is dead woman walking. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Uh, here's a verse that is speaking to Christians. Okay? Brother, sister in Jesus Christ, you who are, uh, have come under the reign of Jesus, you have trusted in Jesus, you've, you've given your life to him, you've trusted in him as your sin bearer, you, you've believed on him for eternal life. Uh, this is not a judgment that you're going to face for your sin because that sin was already taken care of 1,900, 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid it all already on the cross. For the, the Revelation 2.23, uh, I'm going to come and give you what you deserve. It's, if it's speaking to Christians, it's saying, since you become a Christian, your works of service, uh, your, your life of service, I'm going to judge that. If you've lived for yourself, you're not going to be rewarded. If you've lived for your own glory and your own fame and your own honor, like you started with Jesus, like, I'm saved, I've trusted in him, I'm good, but then you start living a selfish life, an evil life, a, 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 a take-it-all-for-me for life kind of deal, instead of serving Jesus, that the works of love, the work, works of service, the works of faithfulness, the works of perseverance. If, if, you, if you're living in these ways, uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, you will be uh, judged. It's a, it's a judgment of reward or loss. Kind of remember the parable of the minus or the talents. I gave you so much and you, didn't, you used it or you didn't. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. The, the idea of, of reward in the next life, in the kingdom life. Uh, you didn't start by earning your salvation, by, by saving yourself. And so out of your works, you're not going to lose your salvation as a Christian. But since you've become a Christian, since you've turned over your life to Jesus, your life the judge, the ones with the eyes of fire as he comes to the church, he sees your heart, he sees your motives, he sees the way you're living. And there will be a day of accountability. If you're living like the world, if you're living as ungodly people when you're a Christian, you're going to be judged for it. And, but in the, the Bema Seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ for Christians, it's a matter of loss of reward or beneficial gain reward, not a loss of salvation. As we continue in this, this, this text, uh, Jesus' uh, his, his teachings, uh, he comes powerfully and strongly in the church. But look, look at, as we continue this pattern, he says, uh, he, he kind of gives an encouragement, though, that there's, there's a way forward. 
to this immoral church, and how, many, how much of the church is compromised, how much of the church is living in immorality, sexual immorality, and evil, we, we, we're not told. But it says, verse 24, but to the rest of you. <laughs> so there's almost two groups there. there there's, there's the people that committed adultery with Jezebel. They seem to be able to have the opportunity to repent. There's another group, those who are the children of Jezebel. There, there's, there's judgment has already been decreed against them that they're going to die when Jesus comes to the church. But to the rest of you, so the, the Christians who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, uh, I don't lay on you any other, any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have, you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end. And so he comes to the rest of the church. And maybe you, you aren't, you know, as we try to apply this to us, um, we're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Right? And, but, but we can get off track as Christians. We can become, start living immoral lives. We know what the Bible says, what's right and wrong. We've gone our own way. We've gone the way of the culture, the way of the world. We will be uh, judged one day for our, our wickedness. But to the rest of the church who've kept to my word, in other words, they've trusted in my promises, they've obeyed me, my word and my works, verses 25, 24 and 25. Hold on to my word, hold on to my promises, and hold on to my works. In other words, go back, continue in the deeds that you've been doing of love and faithfulness and service and perseverance. The one who conquers and keeps my work until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. What? Imagine this, this 25-member church or 50-member church in the great Roman Empire, and this promise comes to them, and Jesus says, to you who overcome to stay faithful with me, to keep walking in my ways, to obey my commandments. You haven't departed from me. To you, if you keep overcoming, you conquer to the end. In other words, don't give in to unrighteousness, unholiness, worldliness, other gods, immorality. To you who go to the very end with me, I'll give you rule over the nations. What? What does that, that even mean? What does that even look like? Um... Again, you might not recognize it, but there's a direct quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2, and if you bear with me just a moment, I want to read that, a little bit of that to you so you get a picture of what's being said and what's being talked about because we have to unpack that a little bit. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll, give the, I'll make the nations your heritage. Some of your translations say, I'll make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. So the synonymous parallelism of the, of the Hebrew poetry comes out very strongly here. Verse 8, two lines saying the same thing. And verse 9, two lines saying the same thing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus in, the, in the New Testament, sees this as Jesus. The Father giving Jesus rule over the nations that want to rebel against them. The Father giving rule to Jesus over the nations that want to rebel against God's authority, His reign. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as an inheritance. And Jesus at the, in Matthew 28 said, uh, I'm sending you to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, he's implementing, the, the, he, we are to ask God for the nations that they come under the reign of Christ. He sent us out as, as his nation-changing people, bringing them under the reign of Christ. But here in Psalm 2, it's like, 
hey, you're getting, I'm giving you all authority. I'm giving you all power. I'm giving you all, all reign over the nations. They're your inheritance. The end of the earth belongs to you. And the New Testament authors say, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the authority to rule them with a rod of iron or in, in, in Revelation, a scepter, a king's staff. You're going to have all that power. And the nations that rebel against you, they're going to be shattered like pottery that falls to the ground or is struck by the rod of iron. And, and Jesus stunningly says, this, this applies to you, Christians. Is God gave Jesus authority. Jesus gives the church authority. In the coming ages, and we're not sure, you can write down Revelation 17, 14. You can write down Revelation 19, 14. There seems to be when Jesus comes in his second coming, he's going to bring the church with him. And in some, in some, well, in some way, in some fashion, the church is going to shepherd with him, rule with him, reign with him over the nations. Those who are getting, uh, you know, put out as, as uh, outcasts by their guilds. Those who are being, uh, they're, they're seeing their babies go hungry because they can't get a job because they're following Jesus. What a great message of hope. A great reversal of history. You don't see it now, but if you look behind the veil, if you see the apocalypse of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, if you could see what's coming, you who are tail will one, one day be head. One day you'll when do you rule even the nations with me? You guys, you don't know what's coming if all you see is the things of the world. You say the things of the world and, and the, the economics of the world and the status of the world, you might be tempted to walk in the world's ways, but if you could see what's coming, if you could see the future, you'd, you'd, be, you'd consider yourself insane not to follow Jesus and to give your life to him. I call you to repent today if you've walked away from Jesus. I call you to turn around today. The Word calls you to turn around and come back to Him and live fully for Him because this life is so short, but eternity is so long. You want to be part of eternity and part of the reign of Jesus Christ. Don't forsake the promises for short-term gain, short-term gain or, or applause of people now. You want to live for the applause of Jesus. And I will give him the morning star. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things, the summary of the book. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Roman armies uh, would, would put a, a they, they had in their banners uh, a symbol of Venus on their, the morning star on their, their banners. It was a symbol of their kings and their power and their position. And again, everything that's written here, it's, 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 it's true, but it's also in, in context of the evil of the Roman Empire of the day. They think they're the rulers. They think they're the authorities. They think the emperor thinks that this Venus represents him or the, the, his godship comes from Venus or something. But I'm the morning star. I'm, I'm the hope of the world. I, I'm, I'm the one who rules. I'm the one who reigns. And, and Jesus says, if you... Stake your life in me. You're going to share your life with me. In other words, I'm going to give you the morning star. You're going to have the presence of Jesus himself. You're going to share in his glory. 
the reigning, the shepherding, the ruling. Jesus is the morning star, and I'm going to give you the morning star. Your life will be found in him forever. The Lord of lords and the King of kings, the very God who created the universe, somehow you'll be wound up in him, in relationship with him, under his reign forever and ever. The reward, the promise of faithfulness, can't even put it into words how glorious it is. Brethren, if you are in immorality today, leave it behind, repent. If you're living a sexually immoral life, leave it behind, repent. If you're living a godless, self-centered, self-seeking life, leave it behind, repent. Turn to Jesus and live for him. You're never, never going to regret it. So says the words, so says the word of the Lord, the very words of Jesus calling us to faith in him again. Please stand, brethren, in the Lord's presence. Lord God, we ask for your grace again. Lord, you know, uh, you walked in our shoes, you know the world and its ways, and you know how seductive it is and how it pulls us into worldly living instead of living for you. Lord, uh, give us the grace if we have false gods in our life, if we've committed our ways to them even unbeknownst to us, we ask that you'd show us where our allegiances lie. And if, if it's not in you, help us to kill that false god, remove it from our life to turn to you and serve you only. God, give us the grace to be men and women of courage when, the, when all around us people are calling us to follow worldly ways or live for self or the idols of the day. Lord God, give us the grace and the courage to say no to those man-made gods and those, those short-term gains and say yes to you always. May we be a people of your word. May we be a people doing your deeds in even greater degree in the day ahead. May you be worshipped, Lord, as you so richly deserve. And we say, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Your church is waiting for you. And may you get all the honor and praise and worship, both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.